typically when I have someone else teach, it's because I'm away, usually preaching somewhere else or doing some sort of obligation thing, and I don't get the opportunity to introduce. But this time, I actually scheduled Tammy to preach while I'm here, so I do get to introduce her. So Tammy is someone who, um, if you know her, she has a more open personality. She's more likely to tell you what she thinks than quietly stew and leave you wondering, which causes me to feel so much safer with Tammy. Uh, Some of you scare me with your quietness and silence. Um, And, you know, I'm not saying that's bad. We're all very different. Uh, But Tammy also has a strong teaching gift, and sometimes I think she would say that's her primary gift. But what I have found most helpful about Tammy is that she will draw me out and take care of my heart even when I'm not in the mood for that or I'm tired or I don't want to face myself. There have been a number of times where she will ask me how I'm doing and I will want to give a more quick answer, shut that part of the conversation down and go on and she'll press into it. And the next thing you know, we're having basically a sozo. Um, it, if you've never had a sozo, get five. Uh, it'll teach you about how to have a conversational relationship with God. It will force you to face your history and what you're believing and get a lot healthier. And if you've had a bad experience with sozo, go get three good ones instead to replace it. Don't let that kind of stuff stop you. And definitely don't let other people talking bad about sozo influence you negatively. I've had John and Lois Mass, when they moved to this community, they came here because they heard that it was a bad church. And they thought, if, if there's that much talk about how terrible that church is, it's got to be good. God has to be on the move there if it's being slandered. There's something to that. Anyway, I love Tammy. And again, she's a strong teacher, but what I have felt from Tammy is more than anyone in my life, she has pastored me. Please extend a warm, standard gateway welcome to Tammy Kaufman. Some one of these days we're going to have to give him a standard, a warm, standard gateway welcome because I'm part of the house, but thank you very much. A friend of mine said, you need to just stand up there and be silent. So I thought maybe I would. After a while, the silence gets awkward. And then after a little bit longer, if I just stayed here, which silence is not my default mode, but anyway, if I could do that, after a while, people would start to, oh, there's nothing going on here. I think I'll leave because nothing's happening. And... uh, Unfortunately, sometimes I have done that in my relationship with God. You know, we have cell phones, and your cell phone reception, depending on who your carrier is, is pretty sporadic and whatever, and you drop calls the most inconvenient times. Have you ever been on a conversation, you're talking to someone, all of a sudden, you don't hear a thing. Um, can you hear me? Have I lost this call? I don't hear. And, or it's, and just intermittent, and you're like, I can't hear. And so you move to, a, you move to another place, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Or I'll go downstairs. Can you hear me now? And you're trying to find that 
sweet spot in your house or in your yard or whatever it is or in the store that you can hear the whole conversation and not just bits and pieces. And I've also been in conversations where the person starts saying, hey, can you hear me? I'm like, yes, I can hear you. I think I've lost it. No, you haven't. I can't hear it. And after a while, you hear this click. I'm like, I can hear you. But they couldn't hear me. We have have in this church cultivated a culture where hearing the voice of God is expected and normal and we make space for it. And that is so good. We have, we have created a place that prayer is not seen as a monologue, but as a dialogue. But there are times that we're in these, when I lead them, when Tim leads them, whoever leads them, when we have these listening prayer exercises, I'm keenly aware of what it feels like to sit in the pew and get nothing but silence. And you think that everybody else is hearing something, so then it starts to feel awkward. You start to feel pressure, and you start different things you can feel. Sometimes it's happened, it's so normal for silence, you don't expect to hear anything. And then I wonder, what's something wrong with me? I know what it feels like because I've been there. And to a huge degree, I still am. I might be the sozo lady, and I might be, I'll tell you, this is what God told me, but. There are lots of times where I feel like I'm, I ask them a question, it's like somebody instantly turned on three radio stations, none of them are really coming in real clear, and I'm trying to ignore the static and strain to hear without conjuring up an answer. And then we get the inevitable messages when we've had those long extended times of silence that, well, you know what, if you're feeling distant from God, guess who moved? And, oh, you're not hearing from God. Maybe you're not asking the right questions. Or maybe there's sin in your life that's blocking him. You know, God showed up to Adam and Eve, and they hid. And I want to say, but I'm not hiding. I'm looking everywhere. So if you know where he is, could you please tell me where he is? And you know, it's true. That there is never a moment that God moves away from His movement is always toward us. He is never moving away. He doesn't turn his back. He didn't turn his back on his son. That's a messed up way we've interpreted Psalm 22, that messianic psalm. But anyway, he doesn't turn his back on us. He doesn't, his ear is always toward us, never turned away. But if there's one thing I'm learning in life, especially as the more and more involved I get in inner healing, perception is just as real as reality. Perception is just as painful as reality and just as damaging as reality. And the healing process is quite similar from a perception of something and the actual reality of it. And my concern is in a culture like ours that values, seeks, gives space for, encourages, and wants hearing God's voice to be the normal, my, my fear, my concern is that when his voice is silent, it alters our perception and we feel like we're somebody else, we're not enough. There's something wrong with us. Or to dull that pain, we flip to the other side and say, well, it's probably not real, they're just probably making up. And we develop a cynicism toward hearing the voice of God. I went through a season, actually most of my life, very rarely did I hear God's voice growing up. 
I probably did. I'm not aware of it. I can't remember much of my childhood, so I need to rephrase that. But I went through a season where I became keenly aware of it, and God felt so distant. The more I sought him, the more distant he seemed. The more I talked to him, the more quiet he did. Quiet he seemed. I couldn't hear anything. Somebody said, well, just read your Bible. When your view of God is messed up, it affects the way you read your Bible. So what I turned to, I returned to, I'm reading Romans. And I suddenly hit Romans 9. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And it's just because I'm going to choose to have compassion on whom I choose to have compassion on. And I wanted to say, well, screw you. I mean, Job was pretty bold with God, so we can... I was frustrated. I think that was day one of the many days. I just threw my Bible across the room. Because you know what? If you're going to pick and choose who you talk to, just tell me if I'm an Esau then. That's all you can do. You can say one word. Well, actually three. You're an Esau. And I'll be fine. I'll stop hoping. I'll stop longing. I'll stop listening. I'll just realize I'm an Esau and he ain't going to talk to me. Just tell me that. I'll no longer wish I were a Jacob. And so it came, it was during this season, I'd really asked for it, but I won't go into that story, that his voice in my life was deafeningly silent. The Bible tells me he speaks, and I wasn't hearing it. People were telling me, well, maybe you've moved. I'm like, I don't know where else to move. I'm trying. I'm searching for him. I'm talking to him. And it's just really, really quiet. I was seeing a counselor at this time, um, and the one time I went in and I was just talking about this, this struggle of trying to hear God's voice. I'm just, I keep longing and I keep trying and I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And her basic response was, well, you just need to rest. Just, you don't need to strive to hear God's voice, just rest. All right? So then I spent a period of time resting. Didn't hear his voice. And I came back and I said, I'm... I'm Learning to rest, I'm learning to be content, and I still feel real distant. Well, honey, you have to pursue him. I'm like, well, which is it? Do I pursue him? Do I try? Or do I just rest? Which is it? I don't know, because neither one is working. And I can laugh at it now, but it was so terribly painful, because I really, really, really believe that he didn't want to talk to me. That he didn't have the time for me, that I was an Esau, and I was like... How much longer? Because I can't stand this silence any longer. You know, the psalmist echoes that cry. Psalm 10, he starts with, Why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? The worst time was when I went through a miscarriage. And I'm like, I can handle this pain, but I need to hear your voice. I need to know you're here. I need to know you're here. Please. And it was just heaven was definitely silent. In Psalm 13, he says, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? The psalmist was quite bold. I want to just kind of read quickly through Psalm 88. Oh, Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night to you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted as one among those who go down the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave. 
like those whom you remember no more, and they're cut off from your hand. You've put me in the depths of the pit and the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them and I am shut in so that I cannot escape. Every day I call upon you and I spread my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed praise you? Is your love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in the bottom? Are your wonders known in the darkness or righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? I'm crying to you. In the morning, my prayer comes to you. Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? I have the audacity or maybe the honesty, not sure which it is, to believe that if I'm experiencing something, it is not atypical of humanity that somebody else has, somebody else is, and somebody else will. And so when we have these listening prayer exercises, I'm wanting to listen to him, but my soul is hurting for those who might be getting nothing but just silence. And seeing other people get these wondrous things. It seems like it really should be really easy to have this communication with God. I mean, he tore the veils. He, he paid a really high price so that we could have a relationship with him. He wants it. The Bible is, I mean, you don't, you don't send your son to die to open up a relationship that you're not interested in. And I know what it's like, and I'm sure many of you do, to long for that communication. So there's desire on both sides. So it seems like it ought to be easy. But it's not always. For some people, it's natural. For some people, from the time they turn their heart to the Lord, they hear his voice on a fairly regular basis, and they can tell instantly when there's distance, and they can fix it, and they can recorrect. At least, that's, maybe that's just the impression we, I get. I don't know. But I do, I've talked to people, and it does seem like some people like that, and then others, it's not quite so easy. And why is that? I'm hoping that my journey and what I've learned might help encourage some others. Sometimes there's walls. You can't build a wall around yourself without building a wall between you and him. Sometimes our self-worth, the way we view ourselves, causes us to believe that he's not going to talk to us anyway. Sometimes our view of him changes, distorts what we hear. Sometimes our love competes. We have other loves that compete for our attention. Sometimes we just simply don't realize the access we have and what it means so I, there are like three, three kind of areas, issues, things that I think can distort or hinder his voice. And, and when I say hinder, it's not hindering him speaking to us. It's hindering us hearing him. It's like that conversation where like you're on a, friend, a call with a friend. And they're saying, hey, I can't hear you anymore. Can I hear you? I'm like, yeah, I can hear you. He can hear us. So it's distorting the communication this way. One is practical. We have, sometimes it's hard for us, sometimes we're just unaware that God does speak in a lot of ways and we're expecting him to speak to us in a certain way. He speaks to some people in words, whole paragraphs. Other people get pictures, just scenes, just painted there as they're they're asking him and talking with him. And other people get a sense. I typically get senses that I have to then put into words. So if I say, well, I felt like God told me this, it's really just kind of a sense, and I'm trying to find the right words to explain to you what I felt. So he speaks in different ways, and God uses all five love languages. He even uses the love language of touch, and I know because that's my love language. 
But just like in a family growing up, if you don't realize love languages and you can say, dad is constantly commenting him or complimenting him and he doesn't really compliment me. If that child's love language is words of affirmation, that's what that child needs. Another child of mine needs to be given gifts. Another child needs a hug. No, and God knows us each individually. He's going to speak to us in our own love language. He's going to speak to us in a way that we understand. So if we can start to, how do I best receive? How, and start to pay attention to the different things. Is this him speaking to us? Anytime you start a relationship, in the beginning, you, it takes time to understand. And in a marriage, you know, the longer you're married, after a while you can finish each other's sentences. It's not because you can read each other's minds. It's because you, you know each other so well. You, you, communicate, you communicate with your eyes. or just So the longer you get to know him, the more familiar his voice will become. But that's dependent upon you keeping on keeping on looking for him, keeping on trusting that he's going to talk to you. But that trust becomes an issue if we have heart issues, if we believe lies. Now, before I... When I say talking about believing lies, there is a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. I will say I believe things in my head, but while I react out of my heart, out of the mouth, the overflow of the heart speaks. We're supposed to believe in our hearts. We live from our guts. And so there have been times that things have been taught us, they become so internalized, that's what we live from. And then we read, and the Bible and other things that are taught us go into our head and never get to our heart to really change what we really, really believe. So there's a difference there between head knowledge and heart knowledge, and it's what we believe from our heart that distorts whether we hear his voice or what he's saying. I needed to know that I had value in his eyes I believe that was a piece of trash. And the creator of the universe doesn't really take a whole lot of time for trash. I had to know that I was not a piece of trash. That I was actually a treasure to him. For even me to be able to consider that he might be talking to me. And I believe that he was passive. Not because of what the Bible taught me, but because of what life taught me. That he's passive. And so I project that. Onto him because that's what I'd experienced. Real quick, I'm going to give you a little bit of sozo training. We are three people. We're three parts. Sorry, we're not three people. We have three parts, and each part has needs body, soul, and spirit. And God has designed the family unit to meet the needs of each of those parts. But none of us, parents or siblings, are perfect. And there's needs that, are, that arise that aren't met. And then what happens is that need's not met, and we project that onto the Godhead. And so, if your dad is unavailable, God is unavailable. If your dad is present but not present, then God is present. But it's easy for you to realize, oh yeah, God's always, but never really feel his presence. Because that's what you've been taught. This is not to cause fear in the hearts of parents or anybody else. I believe if we were perfect, they wouldn't need to find God. It's in those gaps that we reach for God. And we've got to keep reaching I asked him one time, I'd gotten done with a conversation with somebody who was, I could tell this person really wanted an intimate relationship with God. They, they wanted that communion that they had seen, and they longed for it. So I asked him, as I left that conversation, I said, why is intimacy with you so elusive? Why, why does it feel so elusive for so many? And he said, 
I'm not going to reveal myself to people who have other, other loves. Not, not, not necessarily as a guilt. Let me see if I got the right words there. I don't reveal myself to one who has other loves besides mine. Intimacy, you have to have exclusivity with intimacy. If you got married and the person you are married to says, I really love you and I want to spend every day, sorry, one day a year, I have this other girlfriend that I still kind of like. Could I just spend just one day a year? The other 364, they're all yours. Every one of them, totally yours. But this one, I just want to spend that day with her. Because it just made me feel kind of good. And we just we kind of want to catch up on old times. And Anybody going to go for that? Well, what about one hour? Just one hour. I can't, not a day, but just one hour. Intimacy, trust requires intimacy, and intimacy requires exclusivity. I am my beloved, and he is mine. I've said often, and I'll always say it, God's not a pimp. He is not a pimp who wants to use us for his pleasure. But neither is a prostitute who's going to reveal himself for just a few coins. And it's not meant to cause guilt. But I find in myself, I'm too often like the bride who keeps looking at the bridegroom to see what he thinks rather than what my... No, sorry. The bride who keeps looking at the best man. What does he think of my dress? What does he think of... Wondering what the, the best man is thinking rather than my bridegroom. And the affections, the attentions of men compete for the affections, the attention for him. In my life anyway, you might not be the same. And that cross, says, we're far too easily satisfied. The cross is only the portal and we stay there. His desire is not to bring you to the cross. His desire is to bring us to the master bedroom. And the cross is the door. The veil was torn. Yes, we are free. But the veil was torn, which means I can walk in and I can have access. I don't have to be. I am not a bride like Esther who needs permission and then is risking my life and I have to come with fear and trembling. I'm his beloved bride and I have full access to the throne because of the cross. Because that's what the cross won. And we're easily satisfied. We stay at the cross. Far too long. We need to go there. And I know it sounds heresy to not just stay at the cross, kneel at the cross. I get that. But what the cross did, it created, it washed away my sin, made me white as snow, and now I'm clean, and now I can commune with him. You know the famous verse in Revelation 3 where I stand at the door and knock, behold him who opens the door? We think of that as a salvation verse, but he's talking to a church. He's talking to a church. And he's asking, I want to be invited into your hearts. You're so easy satisfied. You think you're rich. You think you've got all this stuff. But no, you need to get that from me. I'm standing here knocking. Unlike your Roman oppressors who just barge in, throw the door open, and demand that you feed us, feed me, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stand here at the door and knock. And I'm going to wait because I'm patient. I'm going to wait till you open the door. And so if I'm satisfied with my level of relationship, he'll patiently wait. Until I want more. If, he's satisfied, if I'm satisfied with the degree of intimacy I have with him, he'll wait until he invites me into deeper intimacy. He's not going to barge down that door. He invites us. He is drawn to hunger, but he's going to wait until we're no longer satisfied by other things. 
That is not to say we have to prove it. You don't conjure up hunger. Sometimes I think toddlers and teenagers do. But you don't really conjure up hunger. But how many times do you have a kid come to you, I'm starving. Finally, one day, I opened up Google and and got up some pictures of starving children. So, okay, you're not really starving. But it's like, I'm starving. And then they don't eat much of supper or they don't eat the good stuff. They want junk. You're not really hungry. And yes, I am, I'm starving. Not if if you're starving, you'll eat. So we sometimes, John, I was trying to find this quote John Piper had said, basically, if, I wish I could, I tried to find it on my Facebook, because I, I couldn't. If we're satisfied, it's because we're nibbling too long at the table of the world. So I mean, when we eat a lot of junk food, and, and one of the signs of hunger is distance and silence. And those are uncomfortable, just like if I had stood up here and not said a word. That would have been really uncomfortable after a while. And, and we start feeling these insecurities inside of us, and so we try to silence it. And we seek other things to satisfy. A good example in our world today, which, I mean, in, in our areas is addiction. That's what addiction does. It silences pain. But we have our ways. We have our ways of silencing that, those things that inside of us that call. He's wanting us to come to him with. And we find satisfaction elsewhere. So we grab a candy bar rather than coming to the throne and feasting on good meat and vegetables. But like I said, it's, it's, not, it's not like he's waiting. Uh, he's not like me. I'm going to pull off starving children and say, hey, you ain't really starving, girl. It's just, I'm not going to, I'll wait. I need, to, I need to know my lack. And I need to know he is the only one that will satisfy it. And then I will be satisfied in him. There are theological issues. I love theology, and so I pull theology into anything I can. Once I realize what the new covenant is, what it means when the veil is torn, it's like my world changed. You know, in the old covenant, God only spoke to a few individuals. The Spirit rested on a select few, and they spoke the word of God to the people. And really, the Israelites requested it that way. Because when they came to Mount Sinai... He said, hey, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. We're going to be a a royal priesthood, a nation here. You're going to to be my nation. And they're like, man, this noise, this thunder, this lightning freaks me out. There is absolutely no way. I can't draw it. Moses, you go and you tell us. And so from then on, well, from then into the cross, men were mediators. It's in humanity. And a few people heard the voice of God, but not everybody but he promised in Jeremiah, I'm going to make a new covenant with them. I'm going to write their laws, my laws on their heart so that they won't need to be taught. Everyone will know me from the least to the greatest. So now in the new covenant, the old covenant is gone, completely gone. Let's not mix it, though we ch- we're tempted to. In the new covenant, we are all priests. He pours out his spirit on all so that men and women can prophesy. We can all hear his voice. It's available to us. Because there's forgiveness, and my sin doesn't hinder his voice anymore. Because forgiveness is there, already been there, all i got to do is receive it. Now, sometimes my sin causes me to hide. It creates something. I might open up a door for the enemy, and that kind of, the enemy's voice starts to get a little louder, and so that his voice gets a little quieter. But it's there, it's available. It's what the new covenant brings us. And the only thing that the new covenant requires is to love each other the way he loves us, which that's a big only. You know, 
But we don't have to do all those things to get access. He's got access. We are now in him, so we have access. Always have access. We're all his priests, and that we hear his voice weak, and, and we minister him to the world. But his desire has always been for relationship. It was in the beginning. It was with Adam and Eve. It was when the Israelites and Moses came to Mount Sinai. It has always been his relationship, his desire, all through the Bible. And so I see that, and it gives me faith now because I can, I can read the Bible without this distorted view of God. And we know that Hebrews, it's Hebrews where it says we can come to the bold, throne boldly. That word boldly means a candorness of speech. It's a communication style. So again, it's not just that I can walk into his presence, which I can, but what it's saying is you can say whatever you want to him. He's not going to be freaked out by it. He's not going to be shocked by it. He's really got the sozo face down pat. And he's good with it. It, The boldly implies communication that we can talk. I know, they probably don't. I'm not going to work. Sozo face is one of you, you no shock, no horror, and no, oh, I'm so sorry. No, just a pleasant, I understand you, I hear you face. Some people know. So I've learned these things. I don't... Now, do I hear his voice? I'm going to confess to you, I probably hear his voice. I feel like I hear his voice much quieter than what I would say many on the leadership do, but I don't know. Because, <laughs> but anyway, typically, I have a, my granddaughter, Audrey, when she was a little younger, she was real shy. And so when I would ask, if somebody would ask her something, she would whisper it very, very quietly. And you couldn't hear her. So you lean a little closer and you ask her again and she gets quieter. And you ask her again and she gets quieter. And you think the first time there's absolutely no way she could get quieter and still be having a voice. But she managed to. And I'm going to confess to you sometimes that's how it is with my relationship with God. Sometimes I come to him and I ask him and his voice is quiet. It typically doesn't get quieter but it is very, very quiet. And I have to go with it. I have to go with it. There have been several times in my life where he's talked to me almost in audible voice, and those things didn't happen. So I don't know what to make of that. I might need to sows over that. But I remember sitting in a pew, and I heard his voice. It was the closest to audible I have ever heard his voice. I'm going to heal this person, and I'm going to use you to do it. And you're going to be a part of it, actually. Not to do it, but you're going to be a part of that. I'm going to heal this person supernaturally, not just through the medical. Later on, I'm praying for this person. I have healed their eyes. Stop praying for it. Audible. Almost audible. I don't know what to do with that. What do I do when... It should give me hope. When I hear the voice really strongly, it doesn't happen. When it's real quiet, that's when I, I don't know. But it, it shakes your faith. But do you think it shook Abraham's faith when he listened and followed but he trusted in his covenant partner. Anything we learn from Abraham, it's, God is all about relationship. You listen and you follow. You listen, you believe, you follow. No matter how quiet his voice is. Most of these things have become core values for me. God is talking, always talking. He's not holding back until I reach some level of maturity where he feels like, oh, finally I can have a meaningful conversation with you. We feel like that with toddlers. We can't wait till they're finally teenagers. And we finally talk with them. They realize all we're doing is arguing. Not really, but I love teen- teenage years. They're my favorite. 
Number two, he wants to be close. He's done everything possible for us to have intimacy with him. And I know that. But he's not going to force it. He's not going to cheapen it. Number three, the cross and the new covenant have provided everything we need for relationship with him. An authentic relationship means dialogue, not monologue. If I'm content with monologue, I'm basically saying it's, it's not really an authentic relationship. And I believe because of the new covenant that he desires authentic relationship. That means I talk to him and he talks to me. One more before I go on with it. And I'm his child. He's my daddy. Good daddies don't punish their children with a silent treatment. Good daddies are there and they talk with their kids. So I have these four core values. It doesn't necessarily make his voice clearer or stronger or louder, but it provides a foundation that I know that he's talking. He's always talking. He wants to be close. The cross, the new covenant, provide everything we need for intimate access and communication with him, and I'm his kid. I don't, it doesn't necessarily mean, oh man, I believe these things. Oh wow, I'm hearing his voice. And never. It just means I know that he's talking. And I can wait and rest. And I can, and I can look for things. So have I opened up a door that the enemy's voice has gotten louder? Have I harbored some anger or something that's, that's distorting your voice? It just helps me to believe for it, to not give up on that call. Not say, well, I'm done. I'm, I've been trying to get through and I can't get through. And those core values just define my interaction with him rather than the doubts and the questions and the frustrations and the fears and the insecurities that I once had that kept getting in the way of communication with him. Um, and, and still have times. I don't, I don't want anybody... To think that, oh, I hear his voice so powerfully. His presence, yes. I, yesterday, I was um, getting ready to go for, I thought, I thought I'd just go for a walk to listen to some worship music. And was going to go down the road, then decided I had this spot in one of our back fields that, like whenever I talk with Jesus, that's where I go to in my mind. And I hadn't been there for a while. Just felt, I, I had this nudging to go there. And so I'm walking back, it's wet, and I got to this place, the corn is here, the woods are here, it's only about 15, 20 feet, and I see, it ended up being soybeans, a feed plot, I didn't, I didn't, I was far enough away, I couldn't tell what it was, but just this kind of this pasture area kind of, and I, I felt that he was standing right there, I didn't see him, I just felt that he was there, and so I was like excited, I, I kept walking, and I was, I was looking for him. He's not saying anything. I'm not hearing anything. I feel him there. And I walk and I just, I just stop in the middle of this soybean patch and just wait. And he doesn't say anything. But I can feel him. And after a while I walk on and the, the cornfield there is curved. So it was like, I thought if I go around the corner, maybe he's there. And I kept thinking if I keep walking, I'm going to see him. He's going to start talking. And finally he said, you keep thinking I'm right around the corner. And I'm right here. There's one thing, another thing that happens in a close relationship. Silence is comfortable. He and I can travel for a long time. There's times we carry on a lot of conversations. And sometimes we're just content with silence. And it's, we want his presence and we want his voice. We want both. And they are both available to us.
So what we're, we're going to do, and we're going to give an opportunity. I'm going to pray, and then I have a song that Keith is going to bring up that I just, um, and I, I just, I ask you, encourage you, if his voice is quiet or it feels silent, if his silence is deafening, just bring your heart to a place of rest. Trust in these, trust that he's talking. He wants to be close. You have complete access, and you're his kid. Just meditate on those things till they become real. Father, I thank you that you have done everything you can do to provide access to you. But I confess there are times you feel distant. There are times your voice is silent. So we come to you to now, today, now, opening up our hearts and our minds to step into again, give you opportunity to speak, but we're going to trust because we know that you are speaking and that in time we will hear. We want your voice in our lives. And we know that it's there. So we ask that you speak to us today. I'm actually going to pray. Um, so let's pray. God, we invite you to settle this invitation. I feel your yearning for us. I feel grief across the house. I feel hearts being touched and people saying, I want that. That validates my pain. That validates my sense of isolation and the difficulties of my history with people and relationships and the challenges I've had in my walk with you, God. And yeah, and I'm feeling the validation. This sermon validated people's journey. And their sense of alienation from the heartbeat even of this house. So I ask for more. I ask God for your presence to brood. But I'm also asking God that we would uh, not quit. We so over-exaggerate what we think we can accomplish through trying harder. But we under-exaggerate what's possible through training. What's possible through uh, patient effort in the same direction to master a set of requisite skills. That was a mouthful. But Holy Spirit, we invite you to teach us how to unlearn and how to relearn. And thank you for your presence that never leaves. And thank you for how excited you are and how moved you are by the little things we do to reach out to you. Do you know how much you move me? God, I ask that this house would be a gateway, a portal, a door through which many could enter and move from the place of not knowing you to the place of intimacy. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. You are dismissed.